Let me give us a little volume here and you can hear me. Do y'all want to do that now? I think y'all are kind of getting into it. <laughs> well, today we re uh, spit it out. Today we return to our series through the New Testament together. Uh, we've made it to Luke chapter 15. Um, if you remember last week, we talked about uh, discipleship and the, the cost and the value and what you have to put into it. It's more than just learning knowledge, but it's about putting what you learn into practice. If you followed along the scripture reading from those chapters till today, you'll have also seen that Jesus put into practice what he was teaching in discipleship. He started sending out the 12 and then the 72 and then other, other times they were given strength, but they learned that this walk was not an easy walk, that it was full of dangers and perils. But he also taught them that they would have strength and not to be anxious about anything. And he uses nature and he points to them. He said, you see those birds over there? He said, God provides for them. They don't have warehouses. They don't sow. They don't reap. But they have everything they need because they are one of God's creations. He says, not one of them that falls to the ground God doesn't know about. And so as we go through discipleship and the sending and the mission of the church, we see that there, there is more to it than just knowing the right answers, but about putting into practice what we are learning and then we, finally, we get to chapter 13, and he starts teaching again in parables. But these parables are about the kingdom of God and about these great reversals. I mean, can you imagine the kingdom of God was like a mustard seed? Little seeds. You can buy them at the grocery store to season things. But that little seed was like how the Spirit works. It takes root and it grows. And it grows to the point where not only will it provide this plant, but it provides shade for birds to build nests in. Or leaven. Have you ever made bread? We have some bakers here. They bake bread. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Just think about it the day when humanity learned the, the art of baking bread. Maybe it was by accident, however it got. But you had just a little bit of this powder stuff or, or this, this grain. And, and it's just a small bag. And then as they found yeast and things that would work in this leaven, that there was something magical that took place. What they just had a little bit in storage grew. And it became this loaf of bread. It increased. And sometimes, especially those of us who, who frequent buffets, you know your eyes plays tricks on you. And those first people to see their food source multiply like that must have been amazed. Because they may have only had a little bit of substance there, but it had grown. The kingdom of heaven is like that. It is like this leaven worked into a dough. That just seemingly little there, and then all kind of magically it grows into this great source. And so Jesus taught in parables about the kingdom. He gave this image of this grand banquet. And he told his disciples to do likewise. But don't invite those that you could earn favor, he tells them. Go out and invite the poor, the lame, the destitute. 
those that when they come and they sample this great fare could never repay because we are like those guests. We are the ones who have been invited to this great banquet of the kingdom of God. We can never repay what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. He says, do likewise, do that way. I love how Luke uses this lesser to greater imagery. Have you noticed reading through the Testament? He does this a lot. He uses these simple formulas of earthly connection to tell these heavenly truths. To bring down what is too big for us to understand in terms that we can see. Jesus used parables. So the ones that could get it. The disciples, those who are listening today, they could understand something far greater than them with images like the mustard seed and the yeast and the banquets, these everyday things that took place. Well, that's what we gather here today. We gather to worship something far greater than us. We gather to worship the God who loved us so much that he would send to earth his son, who would come into history to set us on the path of redemption. For once was lost is now found. And as we came to chapter 15 and I looked at it, I said, you know, how am I going to preach this chapter? Remember Brother Askew here a few weeks ago? Powerful speaker. I mean, rattle the, the speakers. He was out of this chapter. We just heard it. Prodigal son. But he left off the other two. And maybe it's the fact that my background in construction and engineering, I kind of tend to think in systems. Um, I've studied culture, and it's really about system thinking. Everything works in a system. Have you ever thought about it? The way you got here was part of a system greater than you that brought you here safety. We have roads. We have municipal powers. We've got law enforcement. We've got all these systems in place to govern our society. And that's just so you could leave your house in a car, drive across town without getting in a wreck, and die. True, it's not that far for us, but still, it's much better to get here without having busted pieces on your car because you follow the system of the road safety and everything like that. Well, as we read our scripture together, this New Testament plan, it is part of a greater system. It is part of the whole Bible. And one of the reasons I've been wanting to do this series through this New Testament is because it shows you the system of God. It takes things and puts them in their proper context because if you were reading through the series, you know what came before it and what came after. Now Luke, for instance, his system is Luke and the book of Acts. Because of the order we're doing that, we kind of get them a little flipped. But his system starts in Galilee with this prophet who kind of comes to power, this Messiah, this chosen one. And it follows his journey to the place of crucifixion. To the place where God intervened with a solution. And he so shows how this solution in the book of Acts spreads and creates what we know today as the church. But there's systems about everything we do. And there's systems in this. And Luke, in this little particular context, uses the systems of lost things. Things that are lost. And we have to understand the context to understand this system. In chapter 15, verse 1 gives us the context. 
It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, The man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus had a system. His system wasn't to come to earth to those who got it right already. To those who were already given the secrets. To those who were chosen by God years and years ago to be the carriers of the message. The carriers of the signs. He came to the sick and the hurting and the lost. He came to folks like us. And he came to bring them into the kingdom of God. Not those who would set themselves up as saintly individuals on earth, but those outcasts of society, those ones who had given up on doing it right because they'd already messed up so many times before. And his systems, it didn't matter what kind of appearance it may brought, because in our earthly systems, we worry about the appearance. Because if there's just one break in the cog, it throws everything out of whack. You know, if we've built this identity for the world to see, think about social media. As we post videos and, and do these Instagrams and tweets and all this, we want the world to see us in a certain light. And if we've spent years developing this identity for the world to see by wa whitewashing the reality... Any little exposure to the corruption will just throw our system out of whack. Sometimes we root for that celebrity to fall from grace. You know, the one that's been built up on a pedestal that could do no wrong. We like it when they mess up and get arrested. We feel like we're vindicated because no one is that good, right? But in a way, we do that with our own selves. We want the world to see us in a certain fashion. And if our system breaks down, we have to retreat and defeat. But Jesus came for those who the system was already broken. For those sinners. He received them and he ate with them. And so in verse 3 he said, So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays his hands on his shoulder rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. We read that, and we tend to want to be this sinner, this one that there is rejoicing over. But the thing is, we kind of miss the point here. If you've already found the mystery of the kingdom, if you have heard these parables and you understand them because what has been revealed to you why would you want to go somewhere else? Why would you want to give up your place and step down because you see that these sinners, these corrupt, these lost, these folks destined for hell, why would you want that? You've already got it. So it's not about looking at the ones who had gained. 
It's about seeing what was found. And so as the system works, as we talk about being brothers and sisters and all part of the family of God, we are bringing more into our midst when that one that was lost is now found. We are bringing them into the storehouse of God. We are seeing just how the miracle of the yeast works. Whereas just a little bit of the Spirit's presence can spread and grow like wildfire. You can look over church history and see there is times in human history where great revivals had broke out. It wasn't the work of the men and the women present. It was always been the work of the Spirit. They just happened to be the ones that fell down on their knees and said, God, use me how I am to be used. You think we can do that again today? Have you read these scriptures? Have you seen how God has chosen the least among them? I mean, he chose to change the world with a bunch of fishermen as a carpenter's son. He didn't pick the pedigree. He picked the common folk, the blue-collar guy, the ones that had calloused hands. Why did he want people with calloused hands? Because they were used to working. They were used to doing what needed to be done. Some out of survival, some out of necessity. But they were the ones that Jesus chose to be his leaders on earth. To challenge the authorities because they had already determined that they were righteous and they need no other repentance. He chose the ones that could see what Jesus was really doing in their lives. And when one of those was lost and they come to repentance, there is great rejoicing in heaven. And then he tells them, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. If we told that story today, maybe it would have been like, who among you would not rejoice when they opened up their stock certificates during the recessions and realized all the money that they had lost? And they seek diligently through the economy until it turns around, and when they open that next one, it was restored to them. This is what it's talking about. This was this lady's livelihood. It was her future that she had lost. And when it had been recovered, her future had been recovered. It says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now we can see in these parables that there is a connection in these first two. He tells them as a set. He says, what man of you or what woman? He tries to broaden his answer. He's going to be uh, politically correct. Includes a man, includes a woman. Maybe we could have reversed the orders if we wanted to, but he got them both. He tells of a uh, shepherd. He tells of maybe a, a widow. I don't know. Doesn't give us all that detail, but he keeps it short and concise. And he gives their side of the story. 
He shows how when they realized something was gone, something that they needed for their livelihood, that they took measures into their own hand. Now we can break down and say, well, the 99, probably there was other shepherds and this kind of stuff watching over those. So he had a sense of security over those 99 and he went and found that one that was lost. Yes, true, probably so. Because 99 sheep would have been a lot for one shepherd to herd. But the point is, the one who had possession realized something was lost. The shepherd realized he had lost one of his sheep. The woman realized she had lost one of his coins. It is about a relationship between the one who has and the things that are lost. And then he connects it with the story of the prodigal son. Sometimes you wonder if that's the right story, the right title of the parable. Maybe it was the story of the father who had two sons. That would be more fitting. Maybe it was the story of the lost son, the elder son, and the father who worried over them both. You know. But the point is, let's look at it like we looked at these other two. Let's see who owns what and what is lost. And let's not focus on the characters, but on their relationship to each other. And in verse 11, it starts off this way. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me your share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided the property between the two of them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose and in the country, in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But... While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants, ask uh, ask what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother who has come and your father has killed the fattened calf. Because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. 
But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatty calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. So how do we find ourselves in this story? How do we see the relationships? Now these two brothers in the story, we, we can refer to them as brothers. But it doesn't connect them in the story. Did you catch that? It connects the relationship of these two through the relationship with the father. It introduced these two characters. There was a man who had two sons. This isn't a story about the prodigal son. This isn't a story about the elder son who did his due diligence all of his life, kept all the commandments, all these kind of things. This has always been a story about the father who had two sons. And that one son broke his heart. He came and said, Look, Father, I wish you were dead. Give me what is coming to me. Give me the inheritance that I will earn once you die. And the father does it. But he also divides the property between them. He distributes all his inheritance to the sons. So even the one that stayed loyal had received already what was coming to him. And so in this relationship, we see that the one who lost something, like the man who was the shepherd that lost his sheep, diligently searched for it until he was found. Like the woman who lost her coin, diligently searched for it until he's found. And while we read this story of the prodigal son, we see it from the son's perspective, from his earthly perspective, from his own inner monologue. We see how he just squandered what was given to him, the precious gift that the father had gave him, he just threw away. And he finally came to his senses. And he came to beg and, and to plead. He knew what he did wasn't just wrong against his father. It was wrong against his creator as well, for he trumped the system that were in place. For in this day, the system of inheritance was there to protect society. The sons were indebted to their fathers just as the fathers were indebted to their sons so that they may be cared for in old age. If you read the commandments, it's important to honor your father and mother and to carry on that system because when society breaks down and you can push the elderly out of the way, you lose a lot. But in this system that was breaking down with reckless living, even the, the weather is against him as a famine arose and stripped what little he had left away from. But that father who had lost was there, longing for his return. He never gave up on this younger son. There's an image of him just kind of looking out into the distance, just waiting for the day this boy would return. Because sometimes we know as parents that it is better for your children to learn through their mistakes than to pave the way for them. You know, I read an article the other day about parenting. We, we, we used to talk about these helicopter parents that just hovered over their kids to make sure everything was just right. Well, there's now a new term. It's called the bulldozer parent. 
They don't just hover over their child. They plow down anything in their child's path. While the helicopter parent was bad, this is now even worse. If we don't let our children learn through adversity and trial, they will never truly learn to make decisions on their own. So if life was a series of multiple choices, they probably would do fine. But guess what? Life's not that way. You may see the questions laid before you, but the answers won't be there. You'll have to find them out on your own. And so for this father, he saw in his son something that was still redeemable when he came. But he knew that he was going to have to go his own way and to find out the hard way. And so that one who had lost something still longed for the day that it would be returned. And you see this when it says, but in verse 20... While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. This father was looking for this son, and he found him. He found him a far way off after he had come to his senses, and he celebrated. Now, unlike these first two parables, with the shepherd and with the woman, there is an illusion of celebration. It says, join with me, let's celebrate. But in this story of the prodigal son or the elder brother, or the father who had two sons, whatever title you want to put on it. In this parable that Jesus told, a fatted calf is brought and slaughtered and prepared. And music is playing, and there's dancing, and there's celebration, and there's joy. This is taking place at the present. But then we see that older son, the one the father still had. The one that was the keeper of the, the father's message and all this kind of stuff. The one that would carry on the father's name because we don't know what happened to that other son. Those are like the church. And in Jesus' day, that was those, the children of Israel, who had been given all the blessings as a child of God, who had received the teachings, who had received the prophets. And over the course of their history, he says, they killed the ones that I sent to you. And there will be a reckoning one day for them. But the son was doing what he was called to do. But he missed who truly owned him. Who had authority over his life. He missed the father in this story. Though he was doing all the right things, he had the wrong motivations. Because we see when he talks to his father, he was angry and he refused. And as his father entreated him, he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. It was never, I want to celebrate with you, Dad. We're going to celebrate what a great relationship we have, Dad. It was, I want to celebrate with those outside of you. Because I have figured out the system that works. I have honored you and done everything you can, but this system is about me and what I do. And that's what the Pharisees, and that's what the scribes, and that's what the lawyers never could figure out. They had been given all these things and they were obedient to the laws and, the, and all these kind of things. But it was their system that they had built. They'd forgotten about the Father. And it was fitting to be glad, the Father tells the older brother. For this brother of yours was dead and he is alive. He was lost and he isn't found. And now there is an option for this older brother to turn to his father 
and to celebrate. Jesus leaves the parable there because as he warned the disciples as they went out onto mission that all this evil would come at them and that the anxieties of the world will steer them off the course that he set them for. He also warns us today as this elder son. We are the church. We have been the church for a few thousand years now. Or a couple thousand, however you want to say that. It's been a while since Jesus left and it started in the book of Acts. We want to identify with this prodigal son, this wayward son that was lost and is found and there's a celebration. But many of us who have grown up in the church, I fear we identify more with this elder brother. We have done the way we are supposed to. We haven't drank. We haven't smoked. We haven't said, used foul language. We've read our Bible. We've come to church every Sunday and Wednesday for as long as we can remember. And we let these outsiders, these sinners, come into us and mess it up with loud music and drums and guitars and all this kind of stuff. You can see how that goes. But we have to be careful where we want to identify with the prodigal son. And some of us may have. Some of us may have been adrift from the God that we now serve. And he brought us back. And we truly identify with a powerful message of redemption. But as we read this, is this a warning to us? Has our heart become calloused and hard that we cannot celebrate when a lost sinner, one who is different than us, one who hasn't learned the ropes, one you have to show how to open a hymnal and look for the numbers, when you have to show the difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament because they had an experience in their life, but who had an incredible encounter with the risen Lord and has become redeemed. So let me ask you, which one are you? Well, today we will be sharing the elements of the supper together. And, and Carrie and Nathan, if you will come, come forward and, and start preparing our table. I just want to say a prayer for all of us that are here today. Because I don't know if you were the prodigal son. I don't know if you were that elder brother who, who kept the gates. I don't know where you're at. But I do know this. We are all human here today. And because we are here today, we have not been yet perfected in glory. And so we still mess up. So I want to say a prayer so we can get our hearts in the right mind to take these elements of the bread and of the wine that represent the body and blood of Christ that were broken on Calvary. So as they prepare the table, please join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you today and ask for your forgiveness. Your forgiveness on where we have failed you. Whether we have done things that we shouldn't have done. Or whether we have simply hardened our heart to the opportunities in front of us. And we've not done things that you have placed before us to do for your kingdom. We ask that you forgive us and give us a pure heart. So that we may take these elements together. And that we may be encouraged by this communal event. How we are united as brothers and sisters together under your lordship. Lord, we ask that you just be in this service today as we 
we take these elements together. It's in your name we pray. Amen.